This is the My Weight What to Know podcast, where we talk to medical experts about the latest research on weight management and how you can apply it to reaching your best weight. Obesity expert Dr. Deborah Horn joins us tonight to talk about how we can reach a healthier weight and why it matters. Dr. Horn, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for inviting me, Ansley. So the research makes it clear that there's a connection between weight and health. Talk about some of the health conditions that are associated with obesity and excess weight. We now understand that there are 236 diseases or adverse health outcomes associated with obesity, and we can add one more to the list in the last two years, which is COVID-237. And I think a lot of people don't understand how closely their weight is related to many things in their everyday life. Some common diseases are diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, things also like arthritis and asthma related to obesity and worsened by obesity. So you mentioned cardiovascular or heart issues as something that's associated with obesity. How can obesity or excess weight put us at higher risk for things like a heart attack or stroke? It's interesting, the physiology behind obesity puts stress on systems related to heart disease. For example, we have a higher likelihood of insulin resistance and inflammation associated with obesity. Those two issues combined contribute to heart disease because they start to lead to some of the plaques that we see that develop when we see heart disease in individuals. But it's not just classic heart disease. We also see an increase in the risk of heart failure. And part of that is because of the way that we can put fat down inside of our heart in the myocardium. This affects how the heart functions and how we manage fluid inside of our bodies. So those two sides of the coin together put us at some pretty dramatic increased risk of cardiovascular disease. It's interesting that when we look at, it's a little bit older data, but individuals who, um, in the Global Burden of Disease Project, so they look at diseases across the globe and how that affects the impact of people's lives. There were about four million individuals whose higher BMI led to their death, and two-thirds of those deaths were related to cardiovascular disease. So you can see how closely related the two diseases can be. So let's talk about the good news. Can reaching a healthier weight prevent some of these complications? I love talking about that. And it's not just heart disease, it's really all the 237 that we talked about. And what's interesting is it's a little different for each disease. We see some diseases like blood pressure and diabetes respond with a very small amount of weight loss, like 5% of total body weight, which isn't a large amount of weight. If you weigh 300 pounds, that might be just losing 15 pounds can start to lower your risk. Then we see when it comes to more frank cardiovascular disease, Trials like the look-ahead trial that looked at individuals with diabetes and tried to see as we tried to lower their weight, did that lower their risk of cardiovascular disease? If an individual lost at least 10% of their total body weight, they lowered their risk of a heart attack, a stroke, or a major cardiovascular event by about 21%. So even that small amount of weight, so if you weigh 300 pounds, maybe 30-pound weight loss, can really lower your risk of heart disease over the long run. Dr. Horn, World Obesity Day is coming up on Saturday, March 4th. Can you tell us why obesity is a health condition that has a day designed to raise awareness of it, like World Diabetes Day? There are three reasons why I think it's so important that we have a day that focuses on the care of obesity. One is if the disease is getting worse. We know, since looking at early data in the United States to very current data, that the prevalence or the amount of obesity in the United States has gone from 30% of our individuals struggling with obesity to now 42%. We know in our young children that it's gotten even uh, a bigger increase, and that is we see now about a 20% prevalence of obesity in kids and in our older children, adolescents, 22%. So the problem is getting worse. That's the first reason. The second 
second reason is it's starting to take a toll on the financial stability of our country. We see the cost of obesity rising and rising as, as individuals struggle. But I think the third and most important reason to have Obesity Day is so that individuals living with obesity, struggling with obesity, really know that there's great treatments out there for them, and many people don't. Oh, that's such a good point. So one of the things that we've heard over and over again is that obesity is considered a chronic disease. And I, I don't think a lot of people really recognize that. They think it's just as simple as eating less and moving more. Can you talk a little bit about why obesity is now considered to be a chronic disease? It meets all the criteria. It's serious, it causes major health issues, it's progressive like diabetes. And when we think about chronic disease states, we think about things that someone can't overcome on their own because it's their physiology. It's mechanisms inside of them that are changing how they respond to the things that they do in their environment. And it's also a genetic load. 40 to 70% of what happens to someone in terms of experience obesity is dependent upon their genetics. Wow, so a, a significant burden related to genetics. A significant burden, but that doesn't mean it's out of the control of us as healthcare providers to help individuals struggling with obesity, and it's not out of control with a person who's um, struggling with the disease. They can get help and treat their disease. So I know there are people watching at home saying to themselves, well, that's great that reaching a healthier weight will improve my health, but I've tried so many times to lose weight and I've never been successful. What would you say to them? I think what I want that patient to really understand is that there is help beyond what they might have tried already, beyond great nutritional changes, which are important, beyond great movement, which is important, stress and sleep. But we now understand that because obesity is a disease, like diabetes and hypertension, sometimes we have to interrupt that physiology and or support that physiology that I mentioned is driven a lot by individuals' genetics with either uh, pharmacotherapy treatment, medication, and or surgery, and many individuals don't understand that that's a real option. And I want our patients to know that they deserve every tool in the toolbox. And part of that is because as soon as, as, soon as our patients are successful at starting to lose weight, things happen inside their body. And this is why keeping weight off is so hard. Patients will always say, I've lost the same 50 pounds over and over again. It's because as you start to lose those 50 pounds, we have hormones inside of our body that sort of flip a switch to try to push our weight back up. Our metabolism tries to lower itself to try to push our weight back up. And we can interrupt and support those pathways with medical care that people aren't always aware is available. So many people feel that they should be able to lose weight on their own with kind of just willpower. Tell us how a physician like you can actually help someone be more successful. So part of what we do is support the good intentions that our patients have with lifestyle intervention by giving them medication that supports those pathways that I just described. So for example, people don't always understand that we now have three generations of medications that can help with anywhere between 6% and 18% total body weight loss in individuals that stay on the medication. Remember that really successful treatment for obesity usually requires a combination of therapies. It might be lifestyle plus a medication. Maybe like diabetes and hypertension, it might require more than one medication. It might be surgery plus medication. And so really being open to all the tools in the toolbox that are available for you, that's how we successfully get your disease under control. So what I hear you saying is a physician can give us access to more different options yes. for managing our weight. So we're not just focusing on the lifestyle. There are other tools that a doctor like you can help someone access. And so important, because they make the lifestyle part of things easier. 
Oh, so tell me about that. How do they make the lifestyle part of things easier? Sure, that's sort of that hormonal adaptation um, that we think about, and that is as you start to lose weight, the hunger hormone upregulates, it's called ghrelin, the satiety hormones, there's seven of them, start to downregulate. And so they affect our actual appetite control center in our brain to make us feel like we want more food, like we're not full. The medications can help interrupt and support those pathways so we do feel full sooner. Sometimes patients will describe on medication, um, if maybe they normally were a stress eater and they go into their pantry at four o'clock in the afternoon after a stressful day and they would grab two handfuls of wheat thins before they know what's going on, on medication, they walk into the pantry, they look around, I don't see a solution here. They walk back out of the pantry. And the next time I see them in clinic, they'll say, I have never done that before in my life. Other patients will describe, they get two thirds of the way through their plate at dinner, and that's enough, they don't need anymore. And so it really helps support you in making great choices. Well, it's funny, those two scenarios you described, I think a lot of people would think of those as like willpower, but really what you're saying is it's a lot of underlying biology that is not necessarily under our conscious control. Yeah, I have a funny example that I often share with my female patients around that. And when they think, you know, Dr. Horn, I'm here because I need a lot of accountability. I know I just need a little more willpower. And I will tell them, okay, if you can control these eight hormones and changes in your metabolism with willpower inside your body, then go home this month and just don't ovulate. Don't kick out an egg, don't produce, and they're like, I cannot do, I, what? I cannot do that. And I said, yes, and that's only two hormones. If you can't control those hormones with willpower, why do you think you can control these eight? And that's a really new idea for most people because most of their life they've been told, this is in your control, eat less, move more, push away from the table, go out and walk, and not, not really recognizing that all of us have different physiology inside in how we manage these pathways. So when you're working with a person in your office to develop a plan for weight management, how do you figure out what's right for them? I think the first thing is finding out where the patient is in their life. When that individual comes to me, we're talking about how does weight affect you in your life? Is it affecting home? Is it affecting family? Is it affecting health? Is it affecting your job? Um, because people are treated differently who struggle with obesity. It's actually a disease that we can see. You know, We can't see if someone has diabetes. But we can tell if someone has obesity and we can't always tell where they are in their disease and we make these assumptions. We might look at someone and say, wow, they're really struggling with their weight and not really understand that they've already lost 50 pounds and they're doing terrific. So understanding where they are today, then it's understanding what their weight history has been like. So I ask my patients to tell me a little bit about, is there anything that triggered your weight gain? Was it slow over time? Was there an event? And then it really becomes about identifying what are they open to exploring in terms of tools in the toolbox, and then it's shared decision-making. So together we decide what works in your life, what do you want to try, what can we get started today? Dr. Horn, why is it important for folks to focus on reaching a healthier weight now? We know in other chronic diseases like diabetes, seeking treatment early makes a difference. Is it the same for obesity? It's the same, and I think it's the same for two main reasons. Um, one, with obesity, getting control of your disease now will help prevent so many of these other co-associated diseases that we see. Oftentimes we'll see individuals with obesity who don't have any signs of diabetes yet or hypertension yet, but we now see some modeling that shows us that over time we will likely develop these diseases like cardiovascular disease. So early treatment can start to prevent those. 
I think the other really important thing is we talk a lot about associated diseases, but obesity has mortality associated with it all by itself. In young people between the ages of 20 and 39, if we model out the potential of years of life loss that they could have from a higher BMI, for young men it's about eight years, for young women it's about a little over six years. And so I think we all want healthy, long, productive lives. And so recognizing that both um, the mortality of obesity by itself and the diseases to prevent are really important for early treatment. So we talked about cardiovascular issues a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. Can reaching a healthier weight now prevent heart issues in the future? We definitely see that data accumulating. So I think what's interesting about heart data is like many diseases in medicine, we see sort of a U-shaped curve. There's sort of an ideal place to land. You don't want your weight to be too high and you also don't want it to be too low. But when we look at individuals who've had an initial event, like a heart attack or a stroke, we know that those that have higher BMIs are more likely to have a secondary event or adverse outcomes associated with that. And we know that they're at general increased risk because of some of that insulin resistance and atherosclerosis and changes in the remodeling of the heart that happen as a result of carrying extra weight. So I think over time what we really want to see is can we do that early treatment that we mentioned um, so that we don't head down that higher risk of cardiovascular disease. And if we've already had a cardiovascular event, like a heart attack or stroke, can reaching a healthier weight make it less likely that another event will occur? So this is very interesting because there's a lot of really fun new data coming out and getting ready to come out on that. So on our anti-obesity medications, uh, several of them have tried to do long-term cardiovascular outcomes trial. There's also data from the Look Ahead trial, which was a lifestyle intervention trial. And what it showed is that if individuals could reduce their weight by 10%, they could lower their risk of heart attack, stroke, um, and other cardiovascular issues by about 20%. So we know that not only can we prevent initial disease or lower the risk of it, we can also prevent secondary events. And I'm really looking forward to the data from our next trial. We're calling this episode, It's About More Than a Number on the Scale, and that's because obesity management isn't about aesthetics, it's about better health. How do you encourage the people you work with to think about this? We have a very specific way in our clinic that we get at that, because I think that's the most important question that we ask. We ask our patients, what is your SMIO? What is your single most important outcome in the time that you spend with us and the care that we decide on together? And very rarely is it weight. Oftentimes it is the health issues that we've been talking about already. Sometimes it's ones we haven't mentioned like mobility or functionality, being able to do things in life, being able to enjoy an overall sense of participation in life. Um, and I really find that single most important outcome question helps me guide the individual coming to me for shared decision making in their healthcare in what path we take together. So I'm also curious to hear, how do you measure success for your patients? Always the SMIO, because we always come back to it, because I want to make sure that I succeed on the single most important thing that brought them to me. But getting specific on some other things. So weight is one way. BMI sort of falls to the side because it's not as specific. But I think now we have even better tools. So we can look at changes in percent body fat. Because what we're really looking at in obesity is by lowering that adipose tissue load or the fatty content in our body that drives so many of these disease states. But we can look at other things as well functionality, mobility. I'm looking for 
all of the easy wins. So leveraging health markers. What does your hemoglobin A1C look like? Are we trending into that pre-diabetes gray zone? How is your blood pressure? How is your cholesterol? Do you have pain in places that we can alleviate by getting rid of some of the body mass? So when I'm looking at different markers with patients. I'm looking at where are all the places that we can win so that along the journey that takes time, we can remember those places, identify them, measure them again, and show that success. So can you tell me about a patient who was able to lose weight, keep it off, and experience better health as a result? Oh my gosh, how much time do you have, Ansley? <laughs> That's my favorite question, maybe, because there's so many great examples. But I'll share one that I always think of very fondly, and we'll call her Mrs. P. Uh, Mrs. P came to me, and she was in severe, she had severe obesity. She had diabetes and high blood pressure, and was on several medications. We talked about her single most important outcome. Um, and then we started to get to work on treatment. Um, one of the important things that she mentioned was, functioning in her day, being able to ambulate better because she was in some pain, struggling with work because of perceptions around how people perceived her because of her obesity, um, and really becoming introverted in her life and not going out with friends and socializing with friends and family members. In the course of her treatment, she made a big transition in life. She retired, but before she retired, she gained a lot of confidence and was really able to stand up for herself in her job we were able to get her off some of her blood pressure medications and lower her diabetes medications by getting her weight down. She went from using a cane to ambulating freely and ironically, this is just my favorite story because you know that if she retired, she's an older patient. Um, she started participating in bench press competitions because she was so excited to work with her trainer. But I think maybe the most important thing happened was her single most important outcome. And that was, originally she shared that she could not go visit her son because she would have to climb three flights of stairs to get to him, and she couldn't do it. I originally said when she couldn't go visit him, I thought maybe it was the airplane ride, but it was really the functionality of getting up the steps. And she wrote us a beautiful letter and just said thank you so much because finally, after a year of therapy, she felt comfortable going. She got up the stairs with no problem. She got to visit with her son and meet his new fiance who lived in a different town. And it just really, I mean, she just changed her life altogether. And I think what I like patients to know is they often come back and say, oh, thank you so much, you changed my life. And I always tell them, I didn't change your life. I gave you the tools and you changed your life. What an inspiring story. Oh yeah. my gosh, so if someone is listening and saying, okay, I really wanna find an obesity specialist near me, what would you recommend their first step be? I think there's a couple of options. You could reach out to your primary care provider. Um, sometimes they will know a resource, sometimes they won't. It's still an early idea for many healthcare providers as well. But there are some beautiful databases that you could consider. So the American Board of Obesity Medicine, the Obesity Action Coalition, and the o Obesity Medicine Association all have databases of providers. And then I would recommend if you decide to do that, you can enter your zip code and see who's near you. You're looking for a couple of special things. You're looking for someone that is what we call ABOM certified, then you know they're a diplomat of the American Board of Obesity Medicine. I think that's important. Um, then I would take a look at their practice website. You want to make sure that the person that you're choosing is doing clinically um, evidence-based medicine. We want to practice excellent care in obesity with the tools that we know that really work for our patients. Then I would go in for sure and talk to your primary care provider and say, here's my plan. Get them in the loop because they are your healthcare home. Um, but if they don't feel like they know as much as you need to know, 
No stopping there. Your job is to take care of your health care and continue to search for the right person for you. Oh, so true. All right, last question from me, Dr. Horan. Okay. What is the number one thing you wish everyone knew about weight loss? I think I would like people to know it's not their fault because we have so much bias in our world around obesity. It's your physiology. Everyone's journey is different. Everyone's physiology is different. You need to demand the care that you deserve, just like for diabetes or hypertension or heart disease like we've been talking about. There's real care for obesity. Go and ask for it. If the per first person, first provider you talk to doesn't have enough understanding, you can't stop there. Remember, we've been talking about some prevention. So treat early. Go find treatment early. Treat always. Don't give up. Obesity can be treated. Thank you so much, Dr. Horan. This has been such a wonderful conversation. We really appreciate you being here with us. Thank you so much, Ansley. Take good care. Good night.